State of Digital Publishing is a publication and community for digital publishing and media professionals in new media and technology. In this episode, we speak with Mark Zohar, President and Chief Operating Officer of Viafora, about how publishers can survive without third-party data tracking. Viafora partners with over 600 media brands to engage, convert, and monetize their digital audiences. Using best-in-class engagement and content moderation solutions, Viafora helps companies create active, civil, and loyal online communities, all while driving higher registrations and subscriptions. Let's begin. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for joining us today. No problem. Perfect. I've worked with you guys. Maya from your team has been um, contributing on our website and I really appreciate all the content that you've been contributing with us and all the stuff that you do. I think one of the hot topics has been happening a few weeks ago, the announcement of Google saying specifically that they're not going to be creating any specific product post-Cookie World. So I think it's a good time because the tools and stuff that you guys do speaks well to that. So just for people who don't know much about Viafora, Mark, I'd love you just to give a bit of a background to our audience yeah. and just, yeah, what things are you doing at the moment? Sure. So my name is Mark Zohar, as you know, I'm, I'm the president and CEO of Viafora. We're based in Toronto, Canada, though we have customers all over the world. And what Viafora really focuses on is helping media companies and publishers engage their audience, build community, and generate valuable first-party data. And we started this company and kind of evolved the company largely uh, to some extent in reaction to what's been happening on social networks over the years. Now, a lot of companies have essentially outsourced their audience and their community to Facebook pages, to Twitter, to Instagram, and so on. And I think while that's great and you're building up an audience there, the reality is the platforms own that audience, the platforms own that data, and the platforms can change an algorithm and kind of uh, crater your, your, your business and your audience there. And so we um, really believe it's important for media companies, uh, publishers to have a direct relationship with their audience and to provide them with experiences on their site that are compelling, that build community, and that generate first-party data for that is owned by that digital media property. So specifically, some of the things we do are real-time conversations, the ability of users on a site to uh, leave comments on, on content, provide uh, user-generated content for publishing and sharing on that site, the ability to participate and, and engage with live Q&As, Ask Me Anythings, so you may be familiar with, you know, Reddit is very well known for its Ask Me Anything uh, experience, which is great. Uh, again, Reddit owns that experience. Reddit owns the data. Reddit owns the audience there. We want to enable those experiences on a publisher site. So if they want to do an AMA on uh, COVID, if you're, you know, on Australian newspaper or in the case of some of our customers around the world, you can do that with our tools and have that experience. We also generate some valuable first-party data around engagement data, what people are engaging with, the conversations they're having, the topics that they're developing. And what we've seen with our, with our tools and our experiences over the years is that we are a major contributor to some of the key metrics that publishers look for. Increasing time on site, increasing page views, increasing conversion of registered users, and increasing the amount of first-party data. So those are the kind of things that we, we focus on. Perfect. 
I know you mentioned you, you guys offer this suite of tools, but particularly for publishers that are more smaller, there's always that challenge in building that. How do you think they, they can overcome that? Or is it just a matter of being patient and trying to build that over time? Because there's, there's obviously that a little bit of a sense of urgency now, particularly with yeah. the practical world. I think there, there are a few answers to that that we're seeing. First of all, while we do serve some of the largest you know, media companies in the world and publishers, whether it's the independent in the UK or the CBC in Canada or Clarine in South America, one of the largest media companies or uh, Getty in the EU, while we serve very large customers, we also serve mid-market, even small uh, media companies and publishers. The reality is that we've made our tools extremely easy to deploy. So we want to ensure that a small publisher can deploy our solution very easily. It's a, a couple of lines of JavaScript code. We can integrate into the site. They can be up and running, you know, in, in, in days. So we want to make the implementation easy. Obviously, we have enterprise integrations that, you know, go beyond that with integrating into an identity management system, a subscription platform, data integrations, and so on. But for the small ones, we want to make it really easy. Secondly, you know, we're talking about the first party data and the third party cookie be going away. That's going to impact small publishers much more than large publishers. If a small publisher is relying on programmatic advertising, largely driven by third party ad tracking, and that goes away and they haven't developed a relationship with an audience, don't have any first party data, they're going to um, probably suffer more in the short term than a larger publisher who has some engagement with their audience. So we think it's actually even more important now for small and medium-sized publishers to adopt community engagement tools that generate those value exchanges that drive registration, first-party data, and so on. So yes, it's challenging to be a smaller provider, but we would try to make it easy and really provide them with a, a value exchange that's important to their you know, commercial opportunities. The reality is, you know, no, nothing comes for free in this world. You get what you put in. So while we can create community experiences and uh, compelling digital experiences on sites, you know, the more a company puts into it through their editorial teams, creating great content through their editorial or audience development teams, engaging with the audience and building that rapport, the more they're going to get out of it. So you could put it on autopilot and it'll work uh, and it'll generate results. But again, uh, we understand resourcing for smaller publishers, but uh, we do encourage our, our customers to really uh, invest in audience development to get the maximal results. Absolutely. So just before we started this uh, recording, we were speaking about quite a few reports that you and your team have published around this uh, subject. So one of them was the, I think the report was driving driving reader revenue in the post cookie world, and I could see from the snippet that it says that seventy six percent of publishers have a paywall by ten percent report a thriving digital revenue model. What's one of the main key takeaways strategies you think you can share with the audience that can really help them to help with starting this process? There are a number of things I think that publishers and media companies need to consider as they look at over the next couple of years, as changes happen in the industry, whether those changes relate to the deprecation of third-party cookies and ad trackers, whether it's increasing you know, privacy uh, regulations and expectations of users, or whether it's changes in social platforms with algorithm changes and so on. The fundamental thing that we keep saying is you need to build a direct relationship with your audience. You need to provide your audience with reasons 
and compelling value propositions of why they should a care about your your digital property, why they should spend time there, and why they should ultimately both register and subscribe to any of your premium tiers. And like anything else, it's it's a funnel that you need to kind of nurture and work your customers and your audience through. The main thing that we uh, speak to our customers about is no one's going to show up on a site and give up their personal information, their email address or anything else, any other personal information, if they don't get value in exchange for that. We believe a major driver for that value exchange is engagement. The ability of a user to uh, connect with other members of that community, to leave user-generated content in the form of conversations, to participate in uh, live chats with uh, either an editorial team or an expert, to receive personalized content recommendations based on topics they're interested in. So that's mostly the discussion we have with our, with our customers is you need to have a direct relationship with your audience and engagement and community building are some of the key value drivers for generating that first party data. Specifically, as an example, our data shows that 30 to 50% of registrations uh, on our customer site and aggregate are directly attributable to Viafora's service. Meaning the last click before someone registered is in Viafora's platform because they want to leave a comment, they want to participate in the chat, they want to receive, uh, they want to like something, they want to receive a personalized recommendation, and so on. So those are the conversations we have. And, you know, I like to say that for the last many years, five to seven years, a lot of um, media companies have, um, you know, outsourced this to platforms and it's been easy. Programmatic has been fairly easy. It doesn't require a lot of effort, but now things are going to get harder. And in order for you to be ready for, you know, that harder future, you have to start putting in place the infrastructure and the foundations for that direct audience relationship. Yeah, definitely. Can you share with us one example of how Viafor has been able to onboard one publisher or media company that has started this transition already and sort of what that process has looked like and maybe some of the challenges they've experienced um, to be able to then ultimately utilize community building or any of the tools that you mentioned as a value driver optimally. Sure. So one of our customers is a uh, UK-based digital media company called Reach PLC. Uh, Reach PLC is, in fact, uh, the UK's largest digital publisher. They own some of the top uh, digital publications and and domains, including uh, The Express, The Mirror, uh, Daily Star, and others. So we started working with them because their main goals over the next three years is to, you know, uh, triple or quintuple the number of registered users uh, that they, uh, they have on the site. And they believe that the only way to get there is to provide their audience with solutions like Viafora's that's going to provide them with a compelling reason why to A, come to the site, stay on the site, convert into a registered user to get the benefits of community and so on. What we've seen to date is as they've rolled out our solution across their sites, they've seen uh, significant increases in key metrics. So for example, uh, we do a lot of work with our sports side. In fact, we just put out a case study that showed that using our live uh, chat and Q&A features to promote sports chats, especially during a COVID 
you know, environment where there isn't a lot of live sports drove sports fan engagement up by 150%. We're seeing significant growth already in the number of registered users that are attributable directly to Viafora's uh, various solutions on their sites. And they're increasing the adoption of more and more of our services. So uh, that's been a really successful model with, uh, you know, really a premier, very large publisher in the UK. I think rich PLC would be potentially considered as enterprise clients. So they might have yeah. specific needs and they probably would have had a different process for each of the websites. Do you know much of that process and what that looked like? Yes, you're correct. They are definitely an enterprise customer. They're a very large publisher. Um, they certainly had some enterprise needs and requirements, uh, including integrating a new authentication system on their site that VF4 integrated with. So the ability to actually create a, a new registration system that, uh, that provides identity across their site. There were uh, certainly requirements on us to integrate with other parts of their site, not only with their CMS, other parts of their site delivery. And we spend a lot of time working with them on optimizing both the placement of our solutions on their site in terms of both discovery and performance. And so they're also a customer of ours that leverages our ad-supported model. Uh, in this particular model, we don't charge our customers, including enterprise customers, any upfront fees, no licensing fees. Instead, we inject advertising and targeted offers into our engagement experiences like uh, live comments and live blogs and, and chats. And so we share in that revenue with that customer. So there's been a lot of work and effort to ensure that the ad uh, model is, is optimized, that we work with uh, reach in terms of, again, uh, viewability of those ads, performance of those ads, and so on. So it's very multidimensional with an enterprise customer. In some cases, we'll work with customers. It wasn't the case with reach to import and transfer previous comments that they may have with uh, either an in-house commenting system or other vendors. So we have tools to easily migrate, you know, legacy content, legacy comments into our system. Each integration is slightly different. They reach, definitely we spend a lot of time on because we really wanted to get it right with them as they were developing a strategy. If you have a lot of solutions and you're trying to look at it like an all-in solution, I guess the, the migration is key to run everything to the best from the get-go. And one of the things that we're very, very focused on and really proud of is we really regard ourselves as partners with our customers rather than vendors. And as part of that, we kind of pride ourselves on delivering white glove service. So we have a customer success team. We have an account-based team that spends a lot of time with our customers. First of all, thinking, aligning ourselves with what are their key business objectives? What are the outcomes they want to see? And then through that, working with the various parts of their business from uh, editorial and content to technology and delivery to uh, sales and commercial so we spend a lot of time with our customers to get it right. And right means the outcomes that they're looking for. So yeah, very much it's a key focus of ours. That's great to hear. That's definitely been, we had an event last year's one. That was one of the hot topics that just simply like were part of the requirements for partnering with third-party solution providers and stuff is around what kind of partnership they can bring. And that, that's increasingly becoming more included in the contracts that are signed. So no, I, that's definitely the key thing. And, and I'll say, I'll just do another note, note on that. In oh. the context of really being a partner to our customers, we understand that our customers have other vendors and other partners yeah. um, that may be, again, identity management solutions. It might be 
a, a subscription platform. It might be a, a customer data platform or a DNP. It might be an analytics solution. So as part of our work with customers and part of our platform, we are a very open platform. We have, we're very partner friendly in terms of data exchange, open APIs. So we spend a lot of time uh, ensuring that the data that our system generates, uh, both in terms of user level data, behavioral data, everything from topic and sentiment data can be integrated easily with their existing systems and partners. So again, nobody wants to have a solution that you know has a brick wall and you can't integrate it with your existing vendors and so on. So we spend a lot of time also on integrating into the ecosystem. I think that's, that's absolutely key. I've, I've experienced sometimes where there's not enough of that support and that definitely causes frustration and all that type of stuff. So I, I definitely get where you're coming from. I think you mentioned one good uh, tactic as well, like around live sports and live events and how we can increase engagement there. What are some of the other tactical things that you've seen that has worked well, irrespective of the niche that's worked well with PLC or any of the other customers that you're working with at the moment? Sure. I think, you know, we have kind of our, our best practices guide that we work with our customers to provide them with suggested ways to optimize the results. So some of the things that we see and some of the things that we you know, promote, one of them is the notion of discovery. Like anything else on any website you go to or any app, discovery is critical. So if there's an opportunity to participate in leaving conversations and comments or receiving content recommendations or participating, as you said, in, in a live chat or a live blog, we recommend discovery. Discovery means things like calls to action on the site, comment counts on articles. So it drives people to know that there's a community and social proof that people are gathering and sharing opinions and, and feedback on things. So discovery is really important. The other part that we kind of really focus on in terms of best practices is that, as I mentioned earlier, the more you put in, the more you get out. Having the editorial team participate in the community and not just leave it on autopilot. So being able to ask questions, leading questions that drives engagement, running a live Q&A or AMA with an expert. It could be an expert that is part of our customer's uh, environment, or it could be an external expert. So all these things create, in that case, kind of a scheduled event that builds up urgency and momentum and is a significant uh, conversion driver in terms of new signups and so on. So uh, a number of things that we, we focus on to really get the most value out of it. And the final one is to ensure that our customers deploy our solution in a way that generates the most valuable data. So we have a number of features like uh, what we call topic follows. You can add a little widget and make anything followable on the page. So if it's a sports page, you can make the term Manchester United followable. So any article that mentions Manchester United can have a little follow button. If I click on that as a, as a reader, I've opted in to receive information about Manchester United. Any future article that has that meta tag, I will get a notification that new content around a topic you're interested in is now available. It brings me back to the site through re-engagement, through an email notification or a push notification. And for the publisher, it builds up an interest graph. I can now use that data to understand more about Mark, that he's a Manchester United fan, and I can provide him with offers, advertising, and other content related to that. So really thinking about how to provide valuable, you know, ex value exchange moments that drive data, that drive personalization, uh, and so on. I think there's still a little bit of... Um... No hesitation, but I, I know on-site engagement and everything like that is going to help build up 
first part of that, but I think there's still probably potentially a hesitation or maybe they're scared in terms of how much of that they can build up given that there's like one and a half years, like this end of next year, that it's going to be the case with Google. And, and obviously there's always these privacy concerns as well, like balancing them two out. How do you think that uh, publishers can overcome those challenges? And how do you think they can make it more easier for them to realize, like to earn the audience's trust to be able to capture that first party data? There are a couple of things I want to talk about before I actually get to that, because you talked about hesitation on publishers and concerns and so on. And there definitely are when you're trying to build up community and engagement and so on. One of the primary uh, hesitations and concerns that we see all the time is, and I'll get to the first party data in a second, is around having civil conversations and ensuring that it's a safe environment that people aren't, you know, engaging in hate speech or racism or personal attacks or incivility. And that's a really big issue if you're going to open up your community to user-generated content and commenting and conversations. I mean, it happens on the social web today, right? You've been on Twitter, you've seen things and people get banned and so on. So what we put together is by far the industry's leading uh, content moderation system. It's a combination of AI-based technology that learns and understands uh, using natural language processing and semantic pattern detection, six and a half million variations of a root word. So, you know, 95% of attempts to do something that's not civil uh, are caught by the AI. And the AI can tag things and learns from, you know, uh, its uh, corpus of data. And in addition to that, we also have a moderation console that, that we've built which creates workflows for moderators, whether it's um, our customers or we have a full service moderation team that can you know, deal with the five or 6% that is uh, unknown. So we like to say that solve for the problem of uh, the content moderation problem through both technology and humans in the loop to some extent to ensure that once you open up your community to uh, engagement, that engagement is positive, safe, and it's civil. So that's, that didn't quite answer your question, but let me move to your question, which is around Google's uh, initiatives and how it uh, impacts publishers. You know, over the years, a lot of players in the market, in the ecosystem, from ad tech players to publishers to uh, even Google, have basically balanced uh, revenue against privacy. And frankly, for the land, and this also applies in the social space. Uh, frankly, over the uh, years, uh, the balance has been tilted towards revenue and not to privacy. As a result of that, we started to see a number of things. One of them is regulation. So GDPR in the EU, CCPA in California, other types of uh, regulations around privacy laws that really try to protect the user's personal information from being used for ad tracking without their consent. In addition to that, what we've seen is users on the internet basically vote with their feet or more aptly vote with an ad blocker. So we've seen ad blocker traffic significantly increase. Some sites, it could be 20, 30% of their traffic of their users are using ad blockers. And while there are many reasons why people will use ad blockers, a large part of that is because they wanna take control of their data. They wanna control how their information is used for ad targeting and ad tracking. So those two things have now started to tilt that balance where privacy is now starting to outweigh revenue or commercial opportunities. And that has led the browser manufacturers, uh, Safari with Apple, Mozilla, Firefox, and now Google with Chrome to really take action and limit uh, and restrict in some cases, the ability of their browsers to track 
personal information. And that's led to this whole notion of the third-party cookie going away. Google just uh, on March 3rd, earlier this month, announced that their alternative to the third-party cookie, which will take effect sometime in 2022, is going to be based on a privacy model that is based on interest-based cohorts. So rather than using an encrypted email or a hashed email as an individual identifier, they're going to use interest-based cohorts. So what's an interest-based cohort? A cohort's usually a group of thousands of users where any individual cannot be kind of identified uh, specifically who share common interests. So this may be people who read a lot of sports articles or opted into content around COVID. And what Google is suggesting is that this is the future of advertising, that advertisers will be presented with a cohort of people who have similar or share similar interests to which they can market to. Uh, that protects user privacy, but it also creates some challenges because publishers need to start to creating these cohorts. So that's a, a real area of focus going forward for publishers to think about how to generate interest graph data and how to create interest-based cohorts to make available to marketers. Nice. No, I appreciate you getting everyone up to speed. So I think that's a good segue for us to speak about more looking ahead and what publishers can do to do that and, and obviously your guys' plans. So what are you optimistic for and, and what are you looking forward to in the next year and a half? As much as there is some short-term transitional uncertainty, there may be some short-term transitional pain in terms of revenue loss and figuring out how to deal with it. I think this is a seminal and really important point in time for publishers at large. And I think if publishers do the right things, which is build a direct audience, a relationship with their audience, generate valuable first-party data, create the opportunities for them to also generate interest-based and interest graph data. For the first time in 20 years, they'll have control of both the audience, the data, and the commercial opportunities. This is an opportunity to move away from kind of low-hanging, very transactional commercial models based on tracking users across the web and serving them programmatic ads to creating real value and leveraging the, the publisher's greatest asset, which is their audience. And so we're very optimistic actually about the future for uh, digital media companies and publishers as they build out this great asset of theirs, which they haven't had to do, frankly, for years because the money was rolling in through programmatic ads, through third-party cookie tracking. And to be honest, they weren't really optimizing or maximizing the value of their core asset, which is their audience. If you turn this around and think about it, it really is an opportunity for publishers for the first time, as I said, in many years to um, have leverage in the commercial exchange of audiences for data and audiences for advertising. What's some of the plans for Viafora and what are you looking, personally looking forward to as well, just in terms of what are your predictions? Yeah, what we're looking forward to is actually helping our customers and, and more in the market to make this transition, to build that bridge to that future, which can be near-term or mid-term, to really build that audience, to wean themselves off of social media as where community lives, wean themselves off of programmatic and ad tracking as a way to make money, and create a, a very sustainable, robust, and data-rich experience that's going to increase the enterprise value of these publishers. And we're right there with them. Uh, we think that our solution is, is one of the main ways they can get there, obviously not the only one, 
but we think it's a critical part of the puzzle. So we're very focused on that. We're very focused on helping digital media companies expand into new market segments. We're really interested in obviously sports and sports engagement, uh, other vertical markets that we're looking at. And from VIA4 as a company perspective, we're also growing globally. So we've really uh, started off in North America, but now we have a large presence in the UK, a burgeoning presence in the EU and South America. We haven't quite gotten to uh, Asia Pac, although we do have some very large prospects in the pipeline in Australia and New Zealand, which we hope to close soon. So we're growing globally. We are serving the market from you know small to mid-sized uh, digital media companies all the way to enterprise uh, ones like Reach PLC and others. And it's an exciting time, frankly, because uncertainty breeds opportunity. And so we're trying to help those opportunities, you know, be realized in terms of positive outcomes. Nice. And Mark, what are some of your final words you want to share with, with our audience today? Be optimistic. Invest in the things that are going to drive value for your organization. Put in the effort. I think there are lots of innovative ways, both from a technology perspective, from an audience development perspective, and from a commercial perspective, to make lemonade from lemons. You know, Google throwing some lemons at us, taking away something that has worked reasonably well for years. And um, it's uh, kind of a moment to start uh, fixing you up a, a long, tall glass of lemonade. And we're here to to help squeeze the lemons and stir the drink and um, make it sweet. Nice analogy. And with that, Mark, I thank you for your time. Thank you. It's been great talking to you. Thank you for listening to the SEO and Publishing Podcast. Visit stateofdigitalpublishing.com for digital media publishing resources, services, and collaboration today.